welcome. This is your first time with us. We are in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. We'll listen to a little, we have a little Kirk Franklin there, maybe, a little bit at the end. A little book, a little revolution, all right. Chapter 6 of the book of Revelation ends with a preview of Judgment Day. And the final words are a haunting, hard-to-ignore question. People that will be there that day ask, the, the day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? The answer is in today's text. If you were here last week when we looked at chapter chapter 6, if that was the scariest chapter, and I should say thus far, and it is the scariest chapter thus far in the book of Revelation, chapter 7 is the most encouraging vision of the future in all of the last book of the Bible. So you came on the right Sunday if you need that encouragement. That every soul sealed by the Holy Spirit will withstand Judgment Day. Because God has already put his seal on his people. If you don't listen to anything else I say today, that's the key takeaway for this morning. Every soul sealed by the Holy Spirit will withstand Judgment Day. Because God has already put his seal on his people. That's a good summary of Revelation chapter 7. If you're sealed, it means you're protected. It means there's provision. It means there's safety to the very end. Now, if you're taking notes, you'll see on the back of the bulletin, there's an a, a easy two-point, uh, two-breakout two thing for the outline. And then there's lots of scripture references. And I've had folks come to me and, and say, Pastor Pete, we're trying to keep up taking notes. And you keep reeling off all these scripture references. And I'll tell you, I am not trying to in any way show off or try to put myself forward as a, a Bible scholar. I want you to, to see how it's replete with Scripture and how to understand our times and the end times. We need to know all of God's Word. And so there are some references for you to go back to. But all of that and more will be packed, I think, into the time that I have your attention. Uh, I'd like to invite Joe Fancy, our our youth director, to come on up here. And would we please stand to honor God's word as he reads the book of Revelation, chapter 7. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm earth and sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the sealed, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel. 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed. 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 
12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you. Please be seated. Chapter 7 is a vision in two scenes. The the first scene, verses 1 to 8, the sealing of God's people. The the second, verses 9 to 17, John sees a huge number of people, guaranteed entry, and he sees amazing future worship. People come together from every nation, Serving praise to God the Father and God the Son for what they've accomplished in their salvation that they're a part of. These two scenes take place at at different times and in different places, but they go together. It's kind of like a Chris Nolan movie. So so follow this. Scenes that take place at different times and in different places. The, The two are tied together by a pattern we've seen in the book of Revelation It's a pattern that's been repeated a couple of times, and I'll point it out to you. It's the pattern of see and hear. When you see or hear those words in the book of Revelation, John's doing something. He's communicating something to us. See, or excuse me, hear and see, or heard and saw. So the way it goes is John hears something, and then he sees what that something means. I heard the number of the sealed, verse 4, underline the word heard, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, verse, verse 9, hear and see. Uh, this also happened in the first chapter, chapter 1, verse 10, he, he hears a voice that sounds like a, a trumpet and he turns and sees, it says he saw the voice. Or another one would be chapter 5, verse 5, John hears the elders say, ah, oh, the lion of Judah, and he turns expecting that he will see a lion, but because that's what he heard, but he turns, and what does he see? The lamb. So again, verse 4, I heard the number of the sealed, and verse 9, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. John's telling us that that these two scenes of, of Revelation chapter 7 go together, and yet they take place in different times and in different places. The first scene, the, 
the sealing of God's people took place before the events of chapter 6. So, so track with me. You think, well, well, wait, we read chapter 6, and the next thing that happened was chapter 7. But Revelation is not going to be chronological. We're going to be jumping timelines all over the place. And, and the events of this first part of the chapter happened before the events of chapter 6, the, the unsealing of those seals, before the four horsemen were released. And note that it says that they were given power. Note that they're referred to as, as angels to ride across history with devastating impact. Chronologically, it doesn't make sense, but what we need to track is with not what happens chronologically, but with what John sees next in his visions. And what he sees next is overlapping here with chapter 6. What's happening here in chapter 6, before we get to chapter 8, which is the seventh seal, is a, is a little pause in the action. It's, it's like a little parenthesis to help his readers, to help us understand the provision that God has already made to see us through that great tribulation. God seals. Underline those words when you see seal. His servants, verse 3. He marks them symbolically with a sign on the forehead. It's a symbolic mark, but at that ancient time, a bond servant, a slave, would be marked in this way to show ownership by whoever it was that was their owner. Four angels at the four corners of the earth, they hold back the four winds. No, Christians are not flat earthers. <laughs> the number four is a symbolic number of wholeness. And so what we have in view here is the entire world, the whole known world at that time, and what's being held back you can make reference to uh, Zechariah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. And, and there, Zechariah uh, writes of four horses that are identified with these four winds. And so John is seeing this vision that was seen by an, another ancient prophet. John says, the winds can't blow and these horsemen can't ride until God's people are sealed and marked and protected. Now, who are the sealed? Who are the sealed? Well, who are the 144,000? If I said it once, I've literally said it a million times. Not literally. The Bible is, the Re book of Revelation is filled with figurative language, symbolic language. Numbers are packed with, with meaning for us to understand what's going on in a new way to, to grab hold of our attention, to arrest our attention. So, for instance, we've already read that before the throne of God, there are seven angels, uh, there, there are seven spirits of the Holy Spirit. Now, is the Holy Spirit one or seven? No, the, the Holy Spirit is, is one, but seven is a powerful number of, of completeness. Does Jesus literally have seven eyes and seven horns? No, no, it's, it's communicating his, his authority and power and, and his wisdom. So, there are symbols throughout this study, and we need to understand and unpack what they mean and what's happening here. And here we do not have 144,000. I'm sorry to our, our Jehovah Witness friends that go around each week trying to determine if they would be counted as one of these 144,000. This is not a number that is literally a number of ethnic Israelites 
living in some future time. So what is the point? Do I have any math majors? Anyone good at math? Okay, okay well, you, you check my math on this one. 12 times 12 is 144. <laughs> yes! Oakland Public Schools represent. <laughs> and 12 is a loaded symbol in the Bible. We have, we have the 12 tribes. We have the 12 apostles. There are 12 gates uh, in, in heaven. 12 is a loaded number frequently used to communicate fullness. It's like if you have dinner reservations and you walk into a restaurant and you ask the major D, is there any room? And they say, I'm sorry, all 12 guests are here. Oh, well, it's full. I walk out. But if there's 11, there's still a chance. 1,000 is 10 times 10 times 10. 144,000 is 12 squared times 10 cubed. Yeah, right? This People spend a lot of time figuring this stuff out. Listen, in Hebrew, in Hebrew, in the culture, a way of saying something's really big is by multiplying it by 10. Think about fishing stories of how big that fish was and it kept growing. Well, but it, well, if we were uh, Hebrew people, we'd, we'd multiply it by 10. You multiply something by 10, you say it's big. 10 times 10, really, really big. 10 times 10 times 10, really, really, really big. And this big old number of people is depicted as the redeemed. And soon we'll see in verse 9, too many to even count. So John's saying that that these people are coming from the, the tribe of the sons of Israel. Are we to literally believe that there's only, only 144,000 ethnic Jews that are signed, sealed, and delivered? No, we are not. I don't think so. I don't think that's what the text is communicating to us. First off, John hears that number, 144,000. He hears it, but then he sees countless people. And he begins that list by mentioning nations. Do you see that? You see, he says he, says he sees the nations, uh, from people from it, the nations, tribes, and languages. And usually nation would be at the end of the list. He's seeing this great multicultural, multi-ethnic, multinational gathering of people. I think John's saying this is a figurative, symbolic depiction of all God's people. All God's people. Plus, this can't be taken literally because the, the, of the tribes of, of Israel any more than the allusion throughout the book of Revelation to Old Testament enemies of Israel. We'll see that throughout our study in Revelation. We'll see Egypt and Babylon. We'll see Gog and Magog. They are not going to literally be revived. Those old enemies aren't coming back. It's figurative. It's symbolic. It's pointing to a very real circumstance and very real situations, but he's using this to draw our attention and our imagination of what he's seeing. Notice also, look at the list. Look at verses uh, 5 to 8. Notice he's rearranged the order, and he's, he's admitted Dan and Ephraim. Poor Dan and Ephraim are left off the list. But then he's included Manasseh, Joseph, and Levi. And how in the world is Judah first in the list? Everyone knows Judah doesn't come first. Where are you going, Rob? Judah doesn't come first. <laughs> Reuben comes first, right? Bible scholars? <laughs> Get out of here. 
what's going on? What's happening? Jacob is always listed first because he's the oldest son of Joseph. But here we have Reuben first. We have names changed. What's going on? What's going on is something theological. John's trying to say, now that the Messiah has come, everything's changed. Now that the Messiah has come, everything is reordered or put in the right order. And the heavenly choir sings in, in Revelation 5, verse 9 of the Messiah. It says, quote, the, the Messiah ransomed people from everywhere, from everywhere. Go back to Genesis chapter 12 when the Lord God speaks to Abraham, makes a promise to him. He says, to you, Abraham, the families, the nations of the world will be blessed. So John is, is telling us we're included. I mean, I don't know your background. We could do 23andMe, but I don't imagine many of us here have come from a Jewish descent. Maybe so, but I'm a Gentile. And you know what a wonderful, glorious, comforting promise that we are included. I said last week that Satan often mimics what the Lord Jesus does in order to deceive and distract. Remember we talked about the white horse coming in and like, oh, there's a hero. No, it is not a hero. It's an anti-hero. Do you remember that? Here we're talking about the seal, the mark on our forehead. We get to chapter 13 and we have the mark of the beast. It will deceive and distract. It will, in, in the short run, empower people, but it will lead them astray. Folks, we are engaged in a spiritual battle. Notice how John lists these numbers. 12,000 per tribe. It's like an army division of God's soldiers. That we are called as a church, it's depicted as in military terms, in, in militant terms, called out of the world to go fight for the kingdom, to take a stand for the kingdom, to take up, to take up arms to fight for the kingdom. And how do we fight? And what are the arms that we take up? To bear faithful witness through our suffering, and our arms are wide open because we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's the only armor we need what's provided by the Holy Spirit. The seal guarantees servants of God will stand at the end. But the seal does more than that. The seal also protects us spiritually because it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. I want you to see this. I want you to see this book that can be often so confusing and ignored and, and, and forgotten, unfortunately, from pulpits, how it ties all of Scripture together. A passage of Scripture that if you've been to church for long enough, you probably are very well familiar with, where the Apostle Paul speaks of this sealing. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, he says, when you believed the gospel, you were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. You see, all scripture comes together. The, the sealing preserves our faith, protects us from demons, and provides us encouragement that, that no matter what we face, God has a purpose in it for his ultimate glory and for our holiness. You know, you can go a lot of places and learn how to be happy. 
You go to a lot of pulpits, you got a lot of books, you got lots of podcasts of all the ways to increase your happiness. You know what? Satan doesn't mind if you're happy as long as you're not holy. (laughs) Satan doesn't mind (laughs) if you're happy and you know it. And you have all the big plans and you've got all the things and people just see uh, you're walking on sunshine. He doesn't mind that as long as you are not holy. The Spirit of God makes you holy. And maybe not happy all the time, but thank God he makes us joyful in the storm, in the fire that we were just singing about. Okay, now, the second vision, verses 9 to 17. Verses 9 to 17, what a glorious future picture. So we went back in time, then we had chapter 6. Now we're going forward in time to see how it all is going to work out. And we see God's people worshiping God. And Sunday morning, this is just practice. This is just practice for what that looks like. Chapter 14, verse 1, John sees the 144,000 on Mount Zion standing with Jesus. And he sees specifically what that, what that seal says. It says that Jesus' name and the Father's name is on the foreheads of the saints. Literally? No, not literally. Because in Hebrew, in Hebrew, and in, in, in the understanding of Jewish culture, being labeled, being named, being marked in this way had to do with one's character. Your name was tied to your character. So to have the label of God the Father and God the Son on you means you have the character traits of Jesus. It means you have the, the changing work of the Spirit working in you to make you and I look more like Jesus. Is that not what we seek as we are being sanctified through and through to become more like Jesus? And that's exactly what he sees there in chapter 14. This great multitude from every nation stands before the throne and before the Lamb, and it says they're clothed with white robes, they've got palm branches in their hands, and they sing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And the elders and the angels say, Amen. Verse 14, look at verse 14. It says, the robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. I don't know about you, but when I have stains, I use OxyClean or bleach to wash them out. Is this literally what he's trying to say? No, much more powerfully, symbolically, this is a way of describing faith in Jesus. If you put your faith in the Lord Jesus in his death and resurrection, what he accomplished on the cross, and you will be saved, and you will be washed clean of guilt and shame. The past will be in the past. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me and you white as snow. Do you see how that's grabbing your attention? They're holding palm branches in verse 9. That, that's a call back to the, the Feast of Booths or the Feast of the Tabernacles. You can read about that in Leviticus 23. This was a celebration of God seeing his people through the wilderness. How God saw them through the wilderness and provided shelter and water and, and food for them and comfort for them. And so the people would gather together to celebrate 
God's provision in this great festival. They would cut palm branches and they would put together these little temporary shelters, little huts that they could stay in as pilgrims going to Jerusalem for the great celebration. And here they are with palm branches celebrating in heaven, representing the provision that God has ultimately brought to them, provided for them food and water, shelter from the scorching sun. And so many here myself included, can take the food and shelter and provision we have for such grant, so much granted, right? But it's here that people celebrate, never to thirst again, never to hunger again. John is on a rock island called Patmos, concerned for his brothers and sisters suffering in these churches in Asia Minor, who have no shelter and no clean water or good food source. What a comfort and encouragement Verse 17, for the lamb is in the midst of the throne, will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water. I don't need to tell you the scripture reference for that, do I? Psalm 23, God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. I'm not sure what, I think that's Isaiah 25, somebody check that. God promises the seal, the redeeming work will see us through the tribulation of human history. John's saying those that are redeemed by the death and resurrection of Jesus will be preserved, protected, and provided for. Look what it says. He says, the, the, the elder says, John, do you know who these people are? He says, uh, you know who they are. He says, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. It does not say these are the ones that got out before all hell broke loose. It doesn't say these are the ones that got a ticket to New Zealand and skipped the pandemic. It doesn't say that. It says these are the ones coming out. And actually the Greek there is a continual thing. They're coming out. They're coming through the fire. They're on their way and they will arrive. We will arrive by God's grace. We will get through this. Just like the children of Israel walked on dry land through the Red Sea. That's what's happening here. This is the glory Folks, we're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. And we also, Pastor Frank and I, are going to provide anointing of oil. If you need healing, if you need the healing of the Holy Spirit in your life, you can come and receive. I'll be on one side and, and he'll be on the other. Come on in, kids. You know, Mama used to say, wash up before you had supper, right? That's what Mama used to say. Wash up before you have supper. But at God's table... It's the opposite. He says, come and eat. Receive this grace. Receive this foretaste of the kingdom. And then with your need for healing, your need for strength right now, those things that are weighing heavy on your heart, come and be washed again and renewed and strengthened. The glory of the new heaven and new earth is ahead of us. But that glory is not going to be streets of gold it's not going to be pearly gates. It's not going to be a, a, a life without night or the tree of life as well as we know all those things will literally be present. And I look forward to seeing them all, but that's not the glory. The glory will be seeing God himself. That will be the glory. Do you hear something? 
it, it sounds like his church coming together. And do you see it? It looks like his church coming together. We'll go to prayer, but let me say, may the God of all mercy forgive your sins, release you, release you from the burdens that you're carrying and from your suffering, and restore you to wholeness of life. Let's pray. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Lord, as we prepare to come to this table, do that good work in us. This is not a solemn occasion. This is the moment that we have that introspection. We consider what we've done or left undone. We confess that to you, but then we come to celebrate because we get, we get to come uh, to the, the adult table. We get to come and receive, and you've made room for us even though it's full. The number's complete, and yet you say come, and you make room for each and every person here. We but put our faith in Jesus. Prepare us now, Lord, to receive this gift of the bread and cup may be to us the very body and blood of Christ. May we receive healing and wholeness. If people do feel comfortable to come forward after you receive communion, you can come, you can sit down by the front seats, you can kneel, we'll have people here to pray with you. We pray, Lord, that this would be that moment for us to hear and to see you at work. Amen.